0: Welcome to It Is What It Is. I'm Corbin. And I'm Anthony. And here we are. We're going to cap up our first season of It Is What It Is with this kind of revisiting of the NBA bubble, discussion of legitimacy, because we asked the question prior to the bubble starting whether this championship would be a legitimate champion or not, and then just kind of uh, look forward to what we can expect in future seasons.
1: Yeah, and... uh... There was a lot that happened in this bubble. It was rather interesting. Uh, I wish that I remembered all the things that I said, but I definitely didn't think that the bubble was the best idea, and the NBA proved me wrong. Um, but then we had like, you know a ton of really good discussions just about, you know the narrative that happened over this bubble i wanted to say the summer but it began in the summer and it's fall now man <laughs> <laughs> right <laughs> uh the
0: big line is this is the longest nba season ever and it's so true it's been more than a year more than 365 days for one season which is normally less than happy or about a half year
1: wow is that so true did the season technically start like this week last year
0: yeah wow yeah it was like october 9th through october of 2019 through october was it 13th or whatever like 13th, it was
1: yeah though. that includes yeah. like um the press day and all that stuff like pre-season, pre-season stuff
0: i don't remember i don't yeah. remember i just heard that statistic yeah
1: that's crazy <laughs> so uh what kinds of impressions do you have as we wrap up this nba season
0: yeah I, I know i joked before we started that we could just call this episode corbin was wrong so i just want to kind of highlight i was pretty much adamantly opposed to the bubble happening. I mean, I obviously wanted to see more basketball. I was um, sad to lose so many great storylines from the season. And I thought uh, that the people that had put forward such effort, it would be nice to see them be able to close it out and, and see if they could be champions or not. But when this started back up in July, I thought this is inappropriate. We're not ready to have people mingling together it's going to be too hard for the players. They're going to be separated from their family for our entertainment. Like, I just, I was against it in so many reasons. And I thought there was going to be a lot of injuries. But uh, I have to say, the bubble was a complete and total success. And pretty much everything I predicted, which we can go into detail in a little bit, uh, I, I was wrong on pretty much everything.
1: The thing that was interesting about the bubble is um, around the time, like, when they were talking about it getting started the number of COVID cases were, you know, it was high because that was the pandemic. Like it was the beginning of the pandemic, but it wasn't even like our high season until the NBA was getting started. And then like they picked Florida because it was a safe site and it turned out to be one of the worst places for COVID in the country. Um, But the NBA to its credit managed that situation perfectly and essentially kept everyone isolated there were instances of a couple of players getting covid but it was like before like they had left the bubble got covid and came back and quarantined and since the bubble happened or started you know there were no cases of covid or at least the nba is not releasing that are they going full (laughs) nfl in this case
0: yeah yeah no i've heard that they uh i think that they've been transparent with those numbers with the media but uh i definitely especially when Zion Williamson left and got a uh, the ability to early release back into the bubble without a full quarantine. I was like, "Oh man, this is exactly the problem. This is why it's not going to work." Right. And of course, it did work. It was it was fine. He had um, sufficient testing and and was not a threat.
1: So and all we learned um, from his absence. And all we learned from his absence was that he can't run, and he uh, looked more injured than when he left. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah.
0: So. Uh, a list of some things, maybe, or going through some things that I was wrong about. I definitely was rooting for and predicted a Clippers-Raptors finals, and while that was a little bit of a long shot, I I honestly thought it was probably the best, the most likely scenario, and it was
1: not. <laughs> I want to, as, as we rattle through this list, I might just edit, you know, me going wrong <laughs> onto, <laughs> with <laughs> a little red stamp on your video every time you say something. <laughs>
0: Nice, nice. That's well deserved.
1: I'm yeah, pretty sure I, I... Go ahead. Go ahead. I'm pretty sure that I said um Lakers Bucks only because I didn't think that the bubble would change much. And like even though Lakers were still in the finals, there were moments where it didn't look like they would be there. And um everything else about the bubble other than the Lakers path was, you know, a very big surprise. So I'm kind of happy to have been wrong in that regard.
0: Yeah, I think related to that, a lot of my predictions were based on anticipated problems that, that would each team would encounter and them not being able to overcome them. I think I was actually right about the problems. I was wrong, however, because people did overcome those challenges. So most of the reason that the outcomes don't match my predictions is because not because the problem didn't crop up, but because they were able to handle it and I was wrong about that. Uh, for instance, I thought returning to the bubble was going to mean horrible three three-point shooting across the across the league, and that therefore half of the teams that were there that banked on a three-point offense were going to be horrible. And instead, three-point shooting was like out the roof. Uh, the The shooters were generally better than during the regular season.
1: And I thought the opposite. I thought the shooting was going to be like mind-blowingly good. And it was better, but it wasn't so noticeably better that the game was very different, which I was worried yeah, about.
0: That's, yeah, that's a good point. Uh,
1: can I ask a question before we continue with the the list of who's who in terms of wrongness? Sure, yeah, let's prolong this. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> prolong the wrong. Um, so my question is, it you know, typically we make a stance – on something, uh, people in general, right? And you hear it all the time. Uh, how do you feel about the idea of changing your mind on a topic or an argument?
0: Yeah, so <laughs> the whole thing about flip-flopping in politics drives me nuts, and and it's based on what your question here is, we need the ability to learn and grow. Like, if, if we must always accept our first opinion, then we are all just going to be ignorant uh, jerks the rest of our lives. Um, The problem, I think, is when people just articulate a changing of mind without actually changing their mind uh, or without ever having without developing any commitments, intellectual commitments. So we should be able to learn from others and from our mistakes. We should be able to gain new facts and make more nuanced uh, hypotheses and, and draw better conclusions. But if you're just saying things to your audience in order to appeal to them, and you don't actually believe it, or you don't believe anything because uh, it's a risk to to have beliefs, um, then I think that's a problem. So I, I can accept a flip-flop charge if it's about the appearances, like somebody's flip-flopping what they look like uh, to different audiences. But I think as far as like changing your position, not only is it permissible, I think it's necessary
1: yeah, that's interesting because you mentioned politicians in the beginning. and um you know here we are talking about the ways that we were wrong and essentially owning it and explaining how we've learned from the situation. I mean, although in this case, it's more observation than it is learning. Um, but like, where do you see the line is? Like how do like at what point can a politician, per se, like say like, or like, what is that thing that they have to demonstrate? that will allow it to be an okay, like an admission of learning and change versus like, you know, my base believed this, so I said that, and now they believe this, so I'm going to say this.
0: Yeah, I'm going to put a little bit of the onus on, on the populace. Ooh. I think part of it is we expect to have the politicians have everything figured out from the start, right? Whatever their positions are, I'm voting for you as a candidate because you've got it all figured out, and you're going to take care of these massive social problems for me. And that's a ridiculous expectation. I mean, people run because they care. Uh, maybe they want to be involved in public policy. Maybe they want to uh, participate in a, in a system and, and contribute to the national growth or whatever their motivations for running. Generally, public service um, is demanding. And yes, it comes with celebrity and a certain amount of power. But um, I, I generally think that a lot of people jump into politics with some kind of project that they have some kind of concern they have and that doesn't mean that they're an expert on everything but we expect them to be so uh i really think it's okay for policy positions to develop and change over time i think it helps if we're transparent because we can show which aspects are changing and why they're changing and maybe that would change the populace's expectation that they're experts from the start i think everybody's worried about being wrong because we actually do hold people really heavily accountable for uh, for not agreeing with us, and and that's a rough position for anybody in the public to to sit in.
1: Yeah, I would feel I feel that that's uh, it's an unfair position. You talked about this idea of being an expert, right? But we don't elect politicians to be experts; we elect right. them to uh, you know represent ideas based on expert opinion. Like they have to be the person who listens to the experts and then makes the choice based on what the experts are saying. Cause the experts don't make those choices. They just say like, here's the information do with this in the best interest of, you know, your, your community or whatever. Um, and in this case, you know, with us, you know, I, one thing I always value is learning and I kind of have this stance. I think we talked about this in the past that, uh, my mind is very easy to change because I listen and take new information and add that to what I know. And it kind of, I guess it kind of comes off as flip-flopping, um, except, you know, there are some things that I'm very rigid on, uh, and it would take a lot of evidence to supplant that. Uh, but in the case <laughs> of the NBA, because it's like something that we're just observing all the time, it's kind of easy to to change your mind about one thing or another. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah, and there's a danger um, with spectators forming snap opinions because we're often being fed opinions, uh, whether that's through podcasts and media reporting, or uh, when we go to read our stories, You know, the internet feeds us. They see the things that we're interested in and feeds us things that, that suits that perspective. And so it's very easy to become uh, insulated in an information bubble and therefore uh, make kind of snap decisions I think we should expect politicians to do more than just read headlines and and be kind of a spectator of policy making. So so hopefully they don't um, hopefully they extract themselves from that danger. So that that would be something I think it'd be okay to hold them accountable for if they're flip flopping because they're being um, circulated in different environments of of information, but uh, that, generally, I think that's the difference, it, whether you're a spectator or you're an actual participant in the thing that you're observing. So an NBA analyst ought to be a better um, portrayer of what's happening in the NBA than than the general fan. Okay. <laughs> uh, what were we talking about? NBA bubble, what? <laughs>
1: <laughs> All this to say, uh, I did want to introduce, um, we talked, I forget which week it was, when did Roderick Chisholm come up?
0: <laughs> uh, yeah, the libertarian, uh, free will and libertarianism
1: Yeah, okay, so I wanted to just name drop him again uh, You know, fan of the pod, listens all the time uh, <laughs> um, What I wanted to mention was one in my research on uh, libertarianism uh, his name came up, and there wasn't a whole lot in his wiki article about him. It was, you know, about the philosophy that we ended up bringing up. But then there was this nice little subsection all about chisming, which I found really funny. Yeah. And it is basically this idea that he would present a thought experiment, and when confronted with evidence that uh, was counterfactual to that, or you know, presented holes in the in the thought experiment. He would change aspects of the experiment and kind of like argue that thing. And you know, this is essentially how we think and learn and do, um, especially you know when it comes to like rapid design and prototyping. Um, but it was just really funny that the way that that was expressed was like in a very negative manner is like you present an argument and you're not allowed to you know you're not allowed to back that up with more information when presented with confronting evidence
0: right right yeah and and uh, just a side note i think this is part of the um, issue with that philosophy is carried out in publications mostly because you get credit for having publications and so people were kind of making fun of well, he's got another paper, but it's just the same idea with one little thing tweaked. But I, I think you're right. We should allow people to develop their their ideas in in light of challenges. They ought to be able to respond to those and say, oh, you're right. That didn't work in my prior position. Let me fix my position. That's what the challenge is supposed to, to do. Right. Um, so it's funny that he get, got made fun of. And, and a lot of people that do that kind of progressive thinking, and I don't mean politically left side I mean like they progress in their thinking to develop the thought more fully get kind of dinged for well that's basically what you said before with just some tweaks
1: yes that's right (laughs) right and all I mean all of this is basically just something that I'd like to express as like uh, if we could all just be a little bit more flexible in our thinking like then we wouldn't have this cultural pressure to, you know, be right all the time. Instead of just doing what's best and valuing, like, making better decisions, we value this idea of being correct, which is just, like, this impossible standard to attain because nobody's correct all the time. In fact, even when we're we're sort of right, we're probably mostly wrong, too. And uh, you you can't just, like, you know, base everything on being 100% correct. And so, like... Uh, this idea of chiseling really kind of I think highlights that idea is like it's okay to modify your ideas, especially because we're learning and growing all the time. Uh, and if it isn't okay to do that, then we live in a determinist society and it doesn't really matter what we <laughs> say and do anyways. <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah. I, I just I'm not gonna elaborate on this any longer. I just think epistemic humility is is vastly underrated, I think our society, treats that as weakness. And I think it's one reason why we are seeing such a dearth of, of good public discussion.
1: Exactly. And with that, let me tell you why I think you're a poo-poo head.
0: <laughs> okay. Yeah,
1: yeah. Uh, <laughs> let see. me demonstrate, I was wrong. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so uh, uh, the bubble turned out okay. Um, the Lakers, Went to the finals not against the Bucs, and the Clippers didn't get to the finals, and it was against the Heat of all teams, right? Yeah. And uh, there were a lot of big surprises just with the Heat even making it to the conference finals, let alone the finals. Um, but I learned, you know, one thing that my biggest learning in the bubble was like how much I undervalued Jimmy Butler and Bam mm-hmm. Adebayo. Um, I mean, I was thinking about this in the car the other day. I was like, man, I can't believe I slept on Jimmy Butler. I mean, he even brought me this beautiful gift of presenting me Argyle Sock Monkeys. And (laughs) I still undervalued him.
0: The real question is, why don't you?
1: (laughs) (laughs) But essentially, how do you feel about this idea? Like Jimmy Butler is a top five player. And I heard Zach Lowe say that, I think he they said that he was top 10, and I would definitely put him in the top five. Maybe he's four or five, but he's still there.
0: I think it depends on what criteria you're using. Like, it, you just mean overall skill or contribution to a team. Like, what is he the top at? I think in general, when we say top player, we mean overall package. If you're looking for a championship contender, Jimmy Butler is definitely up there. He He demonstrated he is competitive. He will give it his all. He knows how to motivate teammates, or at least teammates who care. <laughs> Sorry, Cat uh, and Wiggins. But um, it does seem like Jimmy Butler is the player you want on your team if you want to win. Is he top five total package? I mean, there is some. there are some really talented players in the NBA who are also good teammates and uh, franchise cornerstones, and it's tough for me to put Butler above some of those people. So. Uh,
1: seven who eight, are those maybe? other people
0: yeah <laughs> so I think uh depending on how he comes back from injury I think Kevin Durant's one of those I think Kawhi Leonard has gotten a lot of flack for how this playoff series went and he deserves it but he's still one of the best two-way players in the in the game and he's all about basketball he doesn't seem to be about any other kind of hype um I think Anthony Davis might be a little overrated um but his his talent and potential is still sky high i think you've got uh donkich you know is is up there he's full full package player and then borderline for me are people like james harden uh people who are really official. <laughs> oh steph curry needs to be up in that conversation Maybe oh, always you forget about him are,
1: just because he was injured half this year
0: yeah right right <laughs> So there's just too many there's more than 5 names on that list already, right? I and never I said how many people
1: gone. could be in the top 5. <laughs> I just gave Jimmy Butler this title of top 5. <laughs> <laughs>
0: He's one of the eight top 5 players in the league. <laughs>
1: exactly. <laughs> Wouldn't that be a list? ESPN produces their top 30 NBA players. Spoiler alert! There's 80 people in that in that spot that (laughs) ranking.
0: Yeah.
1: (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. This uh, you know, so after the finals, there was a whole lot of conversation about LeBron James in that greatest of all time discussion. Now, I think we should have this conversation at some point, but not today. But the reason why I bring this up is this idea that. Um here we are. It's toward the tail end of his career. He's the same age as I am, so he's 36, I think. <clears throat> I have no idea how old I am. Um, he certainly proves that his career up to this point is like in that, you know, you know, top 10 of the top five that I just discussed. Um, but this idea of like, you know, what makes him great? compared to other people, especially as contemporaries. And like, you could kind of have that same conversation about like Jimmy Butler or, you know, like the, if we took like the 10 best players in the NBA based on whatever our criteria are. It's like, how do we determine who's better than another one of them? And this kind of brings yeah. up this idea of, uh, I think, legitimacy that we mentioned in what, like, that was like the second episode or something.
0: Yeah, yeah. Uh, I do want to get to that topic. I just want to say briefly about LeBron James and assessing his value, whether it's throughout the history of the NBA or for his team or the season or in his generation. Like all of those questions are enjoyable topics to discuss. But it's funny to me how my mind fluctuates. Like I have not been able to make up my mind about LeBron James this year. There were times where I was like, "Ooh, he's lost a step. He's not as um, much of a leader as he used to be," or And I didn't know if he was deferring or if it was the team that was around him. But there were times where I thought the Lakers looked really bad. And it kind of looked like maybe it was LeBron's organization that was at at fault. And then there were times, I mean, he led the league in assists at age, what, 35 or 36? I think 35. And um, he, he was dominant. He was the finals MVP for a reason. I mean, AD was spectacular for most of it. Maybe one bad game. But uh, LeBron James just consistently, night after night, brought the punishment. And, mm. and really, throughout the playoffs, was just a dominant force. And it, I have to give credit to him for maintaining his level of self-discipline to keep his body in shape. He's, he's been able to avoid and overcome injuries very well because of his training and regimen. And he's such a good collaborator on the court. It's such a good kind of player-coach that it always boosts his team probably above their talent level. And I think you have to give him credit for those things, even if there are other aspects where you might favor another player.
1: No matter how good Anthony Davis is, excuse me, um, in the finals, when the Lakers were faltering, you could almost single LeBron James out as like, Like, if he's kind of struggling in that moment, because let's face it, we all struggle in, you know, moments, even if, like, we're eternally great. Um, You know, when he's making poor decisions, the whole Lakers side just, like, completely collapses. So this would be, like, those instances where the Heat would get up by, like, 10, 15 points or where the Lakers go on, like, a stretch where they can't score for, like, five consecutive minutes. Even with great supporting cast like Rondo, who is, like, one of these, like, extremely gifted decision makers like has been throughout his whole career when you have a transcendent talent like anthony davis who you know when you have this kind of supporting cast you could think that they would fill in these gaps but it just kind of just shows you how good of a player lebron james has to be if when he's struggling there's nobody else who can fill that vacuum temporarily even Mm -hmm. for like 30 seconds at a time
0: yeah yeah. So the question of legitimacy, one was I think you were asking what kind of criteria would we use to make this decision about LeBron in the various categories, best of all time, best of his generation, and so forth. But also when we start talking about the bubble, uh, I brought up the issue of whether this the champion of this bubble would have an asterisk next to their their title, and I was wrong. <laughs> I think I think these playoffs were just as competitive competitive and Robust as any other playoffs in the past. They faced different challenges. It was certainly different than prior years, but I think it was just as fruitful a determination of which team uh, ought to be a champion or or was the champion. I think it was a legitimate test of their championship ability, Um, which raises the question that you raised about legitimacy what does that mean? So before I throw in just a little bit of philosophy, do you have any? initial thoughts about what do we mean by legitimacy?
1: Yeah, I'll say this. Uh, so we were talking about like in the context of this as an asterisk year, uh, possibly, you know, because of all the circumstances, whatever. Uh, and I think the one thing that I've been consistent about during this series is, um, <clears throat> this idea that, you know, no matter what time, uh, no matter what time it is, you know, in terms of, uh, you know, year for the NBA, um, the, every championship team faces adversity. And I think you articulated this in a, a comment, uh, regarding Amor Fatigue to our YouTube. Um, uh, when you had like, somebody was basically saying like Amor Fatigue only arises through like severe trauma. And you had mentioned that trauma is extremely personal. You know, everybody experiences their own trauma and they are their own trauma in a certain way. And I don't mean to equivalent NBA championships with trauma. Yeah. But what I mean to say is that um, each year is relative to the people who are in that year, right? And they, you know, no matter what, every player has to face their own adversity, their own shortcomings, uh, but they also have to, you know, deal with all of those consequences as well. And so this, like... You know, the Lakers faced all that stuff. You know, the 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 Raptors last year, you can't give them an asterisk just because the Warriors had two of their starting five injured. <laughs> and they're also two of the top players in the, the NBA, you know, like both of them were top 30 players when every other team maybe has one other top 30 player. Um, you can't say the same thing for the Warriors the the first time that they won their championship when Kyrie Irving and Kevin Love were injured. Uh, and you likewise can't say it again when they didn't have Kevin Durant yet because they didn't sign him. So I think like it's unfair to this conversation. Like You can make an argument literally every single year of the NBA that there's like not ideal circumstances that you win a championship in. But there's never ideal circumstances. Um, and then the second thing that I have to say about all that is to me what makes this legitimate is the fact that Um, there were, there was so much conversation about the championship, the finals that made it legitimate. Uh, and I'm not talking about just from the NBA, the fact that this is like a structured, uh, tournament, but, uh, Danny Green was getting death threats because he didn't hit that three at the end of what, I think it was like game six or something like that or game five. Um, Uh, yeah. And when there's that, like, that, you know, we talked about fandom as part of this uh, civilization of the NBA. When there's that aspect to it, that, like, adds legitimacy because there's people who actually care about the outcome. It's not just like, you know, we get to, you know, post a trophy in the this building and then everybody, nobody cares about that. Like, people care enough to send this dude who's Being paid professionally to do this, and it has no consequential outcomes in real life, to make those kinds of threats, Um, you know, people burn LeBron James's jersey because he he straight up leaves Cleveland the first time because now they have no Mm -hmm. championship window. There's like all of this like fan and media perspective that does influence the game. So I think that adds some legitimacy to that.
0: So shame on fans because
1: yeah, that's not cool
0: yeah uh and burning jerseys is a little bit more symbolic i don't have as much of a problem but it's still to me a ridiculous overreaction um but i think what you're raising are some interesting questions that have plagued philosophical discussions about legitimacy and validity uh in in, in different schools of thought and over time so i think one kind of i don't want to say default position but a dominant position has been that for something to be legitimate is to satisfy or be grounded on an absolute criterion. So something that would exist regardless of perspective or the people involved. Uh, And so whether this ground or this criterion is God or nature itself, or whether it's something that's determined by God or nature, it's something that is outside of any individuals or societies and thus can't be altered. It's an ultimate justification or an ultimate standard by which we would judge something to be legitimate. And so you think maybe like human physiology might be something that is, is determined by nature. And so those people that, that excel and, and utilize their physiology to the greatest degree, Olympians, um we think that that is the those are legitimate displays of human endeavor because they are they're reaching the like the culmination of what our bodies can do and so that's something that's set outside of arbitrary standards outside of uh narrative and, and all those things that kind of get mixed in when we talk about olympians we, we think maybe their achievements achievements exceed all of that talk and reach some ultimate ground or justification however uh, what does it mean to have a norm in nature and if you you know the questions about whether God ultimately is is the, the has the ability to set criteria that matter for us right so so one question is our standards, independent of us in such a way that it doesn't matter what our attitudes are about them, <clears throat> or must they also matter to us? So they, since they're about the things that we're judging, must we consider those standards to be themselves legitimate and appropriate for our judging? And that raises kind of the question that you brought at the end. Maybe it's there's the question of legitimate by what standard and legitimate to whom? And I think you have to bring those two pieces together to determine whether something is is legitimate, and so often in history philosophy, it's only been the former question, and I think more recent years the second question has dominated, to the exclusion of the former. So I think we need to bring both of these conversations back together.
1: Yeah, I like that, and uh, you know, just to give you so you're not always wrong, uh, this idea of, <laughs> of feeling right was we talked about that uh, when we were talking about the NBA as a as like a culture, a civilization essentially. Um, that the fan experience can't be external of, like, the NBA team itself because there's, you know, there's definitely information exchange. So I really like that idea, that legitimacy, um, like, by an authority and uh, external of that. And one thing that was making me think about this is, like, every year ESPN publishes this, like, list of, like, the, I don't know, they rank... I think it's called NBA rank. They rank like every player in the NBA. And every year people get all up in a tizzy about it because, you know, inevitably their favorite player doesn't get ranked that high or gets ranked too high or whatever. Uh, For instance, I think like Melo was still in his prime and was still really good. And he got ranked in like the 30s and people were like having a conniption about it. Right. Um. And so this is, like, that kind of, like, uh, ESPN is sort of an authority, but there's, like, so many other authorities in the NBA sphere that it kind of ultimately diminishes their authority a little bit. Now, like, if the NBA came out with an NBA rank and it was, like, officially sanctioned by, like, GMs or, you know, coaches ranked rated players and this was, like, a computer algorithm that just sorted everything, then that would probably have a little bit more validity because this is, like... The coach is doing it. Of course, now there's going to be, like, player outcry and stuff like that. <laughs> sure. Um,
0: NBA 2K ratings,
1: yeah. similarly. NBA,
0: players
1: being so rated. <laughs> NBA 2K ratings, I would argue, probably have more weight than ESPN rating.
0: <laughs> right.
1: <laughs> um, but all that's to say, like, uh the NBA, when they came out with this, like, list of the 50 greatest players, um they there was weight to that list. You know, like when Patrick Ewing made it, obviously Michael Jordan was going to be on it. Like there's all these great names and like to be on this list, it's sort of like getting your name in a museum, which adds to that legitimacy thing because now it's also like cultural history. Whereas when ESPN does it, it's just like op-ed.
0: Yeah. So just to tie this up, because I think this has gone uh, quite long and I want to keep as much of this as possible. I would just say that Applying what I said about legitimacy to the NBA bubble, we had the organizational authority. So the the determination of what a champion is was set by the NBA, the National Basketball Association. So there's your kind of standard and criteria. But then there's the to the fans, was that sufficient? Was satisfying those criteria enough to legitimize the Lakers as a champion? And from what I'm hearing, I think fandom is accepting that this Lakers win was a robust and full championship. There's a few people that are, are crying foul, but they're they're very much in the minority from what I've been hearing.
1: Yeah, boo-hoo to them because there's no like Twitter hashtag labeled like boycott <laughs> NBA or boycott Lakers. You know, everybody, like all the media outlets, uh, majority of the fans recognize the Lakers as the champion. And so, you know, even though the NBA standardized the championship, uh, the fans accepted that even if they don't, you know, necessarily accept that. So I think that kind of like, uh, puts the end to that, Yeah, you know, let's just put the stamp on it. Legitimate. <laughs> it is what it is. It is what it is. Uh, before we wrap up, I think, uh, we just have a little bit of house clean, house clean, keeping housekeeping, cleaning, Which, yeah, what yeah. do you prefer? <laughs> keeping. Cause I don't like to clean. I like it (laughs) or I don't like it in in a conversation between the two of us. What makes something legitimate if there's only two perspectives?
0: (laughs) Are there only two perspectives just because there's two of us? Are there not external other perspectives coming into play here?
1: Damn you and your philosophical viewpoints. (laughs) (laughs) I'm so influential. Um, I'm so influenced by everything and everyone around me. (laughs) <laughs> i
0: i think it was legitimate and that's i'm gonna say i was wrong about the nba bubble i definitely 100 percent thought this would be an asterisk title and it and in my mind it is not and i think um i have to say mea copa
1: wow you heard it here folks he chismed this this podcast to death <laughs> um nice. so this is our last episode of this season I hope we wrapped everything up nicely. We had a lot of really interesting discussions, and I really want to thank you, Corbin, for participating in those discussions with me. Uh, Not that you're going anywhere, but uh, just to just (laughs) wanted to share the love publicly that I really appreciate these conversations. It's been a great learning experience for me personally. Like first, there's Mm -hmm. been a lot of philosophical context that I didn't know about, and second. just the way we have these discussions has it seeped into my personal life in other ways, which has been really pleasant. Uh, so thank you for that. And that's uh, amazing. I, that? No, you don't get
0: to compliment me without me complimenting you. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm glad that it has impacted your life because that's the, I've always valued philosophy because I felt like it was a life impactful discipline, but I have to say that I was feeling a little burned out and dis- despairing about the impact of philosophy in society. And your motivate motivating me to do this podcast and to get back into learning and thinking about these ideas has been uh, enriching for me in tremendous uh, ways. And of course, just the friendship and camaraderie of, of talking with someone who uh, enjoys, uh, like helps make life fun, but does it with an an eye towards the gravity of what life has to offer
1: well thank you that was very beautiful (laughs) um so we're going to go away for a little while uh we're going to come back i promise mostly we're just going to spend time working on the presentation of this podcast we want to make the the video footage better we want to add some title sequence we want to make it easier to find that's the biggest thing yes. <laughs> um yes. and we're going to come back also with even better discussions i hope that we can add some guests i'd love to be able to add some live streams where people can join the conversation with us in real time that would be really fun so we're just going to go away and try and figure all this stuff out and then come back. I think we're aiming for the start of the next NBA season, right?
0: Depending on when that is, but if they're predicting like MLK Day in January, that sounds about right.
1: Yeah, so it'll take us a couple months to get there, and uh, we're gonna just keep delivering this hard-hitting NBA and philosophy news. Could you imagine if there was a podcast that like delivered philosophy news? <laughs> <laughs>
0: I'm embarrassed to say that since it's my discipline, I should know whether there is, but there are so many philosophy podcasts, I don't actually know. um, I suspect that there is something already that does that.
1: I've been on this NBA subreddit of philosophy, sorry, not NBA, this Reddit on uh, philosophy. And it's kind of funny that they post all these articles on there under the guise of philosophy, but it's really just like one man's opinion of stuff. (laughs) A lot of times. (laughs) And I mean, really like, I don't want to, like, downplay philosophy. Careful, careful, yeah. <laughs> but let's be it's real. Yeah. <laughs> you, sorry, guys. I just got to edit this so that our, our screens crack and that... Uh... <laughs> <clears throat> but we'll come no, back. No, I'm sorry.
0: I'm sorry to cut you off. I was just like, uh, philosophy is just an opinion that drives me nuts.
1: <laughs> no, I mean, what I mean to say is, like a lot of times these articles happen sort of in a vacuum. It's like one guy's observations of an opinion. And I think nowadays, like sure that worked because that's the academic process, but I think nowadays philosophy is so intertwined with a lot of other things in our culture, the world Mm -hmm. culture, I don't just mean like American culture, uh, that I feel like having these discussions is really what philosophy is all about. And it's not just about personal opinion. It's like a sort of, you know, as much as it can be objective analysis of our world. And I say as much as it can be, because as we've discussed many times, there's so much metaphysical layer going on in our, in our world that I can't even identify if, if this is our world, (laughs) if I'm perceiving a simulation, if I'm even able to make the choices that I'm making. Um, Maybe it's all just a narrative in the first place, but no matter what, (laughs) it is what it is.
0: It is what it is. Thanks everybody.